Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. So this week on Mad World, I am really thrilled to have a man who has taken some huge negatives that have happened to him in his life and he's turned them into massive positives. He's just written a book that's out soon called The Grief Survival Guide. He's a former reality TV star, professional footballer, and he's now a life coach. Will you please welcome Jeff Brazier? Hi, how are you? I'm good. Well, this is what we start the podcast with. Each podcast, we start by asking you, how are you? And not just with the niceties, not just going fine, thanks. How are you really right now, Jeff? I feel pretty fantastic. For the last five months, I've just been working obsessively on this almost homework project that I got really carried away on. It's yeah. turned into a, a near 500-page book, a guide, if you like. And today is the first day that I get to talk about it, and I feel like a, a caged animal, and I just can't wait to really talk about the subject. So the Grief Survival Guide, it came from three quite shocking experiences of grief. Because how old are you, Jeff? Uh, 38. You're 38, so you're quite young. So grief Mm. isn't something that, you know, a lot of 38-year-olds haven't really experienced yet, but you had some quite shocking... Can you kind of talk us through the three events? Okay, so in terms of why am I writing this book, I think from my own personal experience, I lost my nan, granddad, auntie, all to cancer. Obviously, the boys lost their mum, which in some respects is a loss for myself as well, but not anywhere near on the level, obviously, that they've experienced. So let's talk through, just for anyone who is listening who Mm. doesn't know your story... So you have two children. Their mother was Jade Goody. Yes. She died of cervical cancer eight years ago. Yeah. So for the last eight years, I've brought them up on my own. How old are they now? The boys are now 12 and 14. Oh, my God. So I'm dealing with the teenage stuff as well how's as the grief that, stuff. How is that going? Well, it's an interesting combination, obviously. It's uh, one day you feel like you're the Jose Mourinho of parenting, and, <sighs> and then the next day you just feel like you're awful and you need to go back to square one, and everywhere in between. So it's been very challenging, obviously. How old were they when um, Jade died? Uh, they were four and five. Okay. So you've sort of said that with the Grief Survival Guide, you want to bust some misconceptions about grief. Yeah, there are so many. We've got all day. Tell you everything. Well, okay, I don't want to rant. I want you to kind of ease me into, okay. into the areas as rant, the, the expert interviewer that you are. I'm not an expert interviewer at all. You, I'm just, I like a chat. Good, let's chat about let's it. Let's chat about it. I'm coming to this as someone who, you know, my grandparents are dead, but I haven't had any other experience of it. 
what's like the number one big misconception about grief? Uh, number one's easy is that we think that by not crying, we're protecting other people. Right. Uh, whereas um, the actual way to look at it is when you cry, you give everyone around you permission to feel how they naturally will feel. Yeah. To cry as well, obviously, especially when we're talking about parent and children. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. That's misconception number one. Also, a lot of people always look at grief, which for starters, let me just go in on grief because yeah, yeah. grief's a, you'll know more about this than I, but it's a nominalization. It's a group of verbs. It doesn't yeah. really mean anything, grief. Grief, if I was to say to any one of the thousands of people in this building that you're working in right now, give me four words that you would associate with grief. They would all absolutely come up with something entirely different. Yeah. So it's just an umbrella term. Grief, when we think about it, has been used to things that are unrelated to, to death as well. So it doesn't really have its own term. And also when you think about the challenges that you might face in your life, such as climbing a mountain, where well, you can see the mountain. It's been climbed before. You know it can be done. Mm -hmm. You know the measurements. You know that you've got what you need by way of water and refreshments to get you up there. So it's a challenge that you can kind of quantify. Mm -hmm. Grief, you can't see. It's like mm -hmm. electricity. It's invisible. You know it's there. Uh, you know it's all around you. But you don't really know how to tackle something that has no identity, mm -hmm. if you like. So something that I always kind of encourage as a coach is for people to make it visual. Yeah. Ask people to close their eyes and imagine if grief was in front of you and you could give its characteristics, what would it look like? Is it a person? Is it a thing? So is what it an does animal? grief look like to you? Well, I'll tell you, it's Keith. It's Keith. just Keith. Because I've heard, and, and people find this sort of interesting, probably hard to believe at first, but when you really look at the characteristics of grief, it's very very consistent mm -hmm. it's always on time it never fails to turn up mm -hmm. at the right place at the right time as far reliable. as it's concerned it's so reliable in fact would you employ grief absolutely really it's never going to let you down it's never going to walk in this office without everything it needs completely on time in fact it's always going to be early yeah so yeah grief entirely reliable so when you start to build a, a visual profile of keith keith grief yeah you start to actually realise that he probably lives with his mum. Yeah. Um, you can't outrun him, so he's definitely yeah. done some kind of cross-country as a kid. Yeah. He probably collects stamps on the side, really interested in hobbies, never probably he's had a, a girlfriend. Sinister. Yeah, well, no, I think he's quite innocent. In yeah. that okay. No Asexual. matter how much you try and run from him, yeah. he'll always kind of be there to tap you on the shoulder, and that's his job. His job is to tap you on the shoulder and kind of remind you that you've lost someone special. And actually, when we think about if Keith didn't exist... And if we just sort of come away from the uh, the metaphor there and say grief didn't exist and mm. didn't affect us the way that it physically and mentally did, what would make us turn around and actually remember the person that we've lost? If mm. we didn't have that natural inherent reflex in ourselves mm. to, to remember and to look back, even though in the initial stages it's very painful and could be painful for a number of years for you to do so, to remember someone is to actually remind yourself of what you had. Mm -hmm. So even that is a celebration when you look mm. back and think, oh, I had an incredible person and I had great memories with that person. I wouldn't want grief to stop tapping me on the shoulder mm. because it would mean that I would only look forward Forwards away from that so we get into we get into interesting areas wow so it really is about turning negatives into positives i don't think we can ever say that grief is a negative it has very negative effects which can cause even greater complications mm. from a mental health point of view yeah if people deal with grief badly if they don't express their grief if they don't allow themselves to cry if they avoid it if they go into denial if they don't allow other people to see that they're not okay yeah. which we could be talking about any form of mental health couldn't we but, yeah, but yeah, grief yeah. In, in, in particular then what we're actually doing is just kind of we think we're buying time we think that it will go away we 
think we'll get away with it, yeah. but we don't. It's really interesting because the first guest on this podcast was Prince Harry, and he spoke about how he just tried to ignore his mum dying. I heard um, for 20 years. How yeah. on earth? And he do was you trying to that? outrun Keith. Well, it's really interesting that we kind of we started the series with that. And he would have been called Tarquin, not Keith. I'm pretty sure he would have been <laughs> maybe Crispin or Crispin. something. Quinton. Crispin. <laughs> but no, but it's interesting mm. to hear now from you about you know you're a man, you've got two sons, you know, and for men it's kind of like we're just going to get on with this now. Well, it could be that, couldn't yeah. it? If I was that way inclined, but yeah. I think I've always been of the of the understanding that the best way forward is to actually do it as naturally as possible and to do what's actually best for us instead of what's easiest for us. Yeah. So the easy way out, we think, mm. it's not, but the easy way out short term is to just say, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. No, it's fine. I don't need your support. I'm just mm. going to immerse myself in work. I'm just going to see my responsibility as being the kids and therefore I'm not going to think about myself. And in doing those, in really sort of falling into those easy traps that are there ready for you to fall into if you so wish to, mm. then you're inevitably going to just delay the yeah. whole experience. You start living a lie to a Mm -hmm. point because you're not being real you're not being honest about how you feel and therefore for that lie to stay in place for you to so feel like you're avoiding it and doing a successful job of that you need everybody else to kind of start buying into the lie as well and that's when the justification starts Mm. so all of a sudden say like if we say that this lie is a sheet of paper and we need to pin it up on the wall Mm -hmm. so each pin will have a different value each pin will be a justification that we will tell people such as no I'm okay it's just a bit of dirt in my eye or it might be that no I'm too busy having a and usually and as a coach I'll tell you that when we sit down with people and we listen to them we listen to what they're saying and what they're not saying and we listen to the language that they use because there are so many clues in that Mm -hmm. anyone listening to this who is bereaved I would ask you to really observe your own kind of language and just see what orders are you giving yourself how are you conditioning yourself to go about your journey through grief are you being kind to yourself because that's another huge area Mm -hmm. we self-sabotage so badly in grief and mental health. So when you say self-sabotage, do you mean things like drinking and you use like bad things as coping mechanisms, don't you, to kind of blot everything out? Yeah, they're behavioural forms of, yeah. of self-sabotage, but it can mm-hmm. even be sort of a lot sort of more surface level. Again, going to refer back to language. If you're someone that's programming yourself to believe that you'll never get over it because you're using that language, making that statement on a regular basis, then that will ultimately form the journey and the path and the direction of that that you're going to go through. Some people are a lot kinder. Mm-hmm. Some people are just good at surviving. Some people's lives have kind of predetermined how they will deal with a grief years and years before that grief their first grief has even been encountered and it's because they know that in order to get through something the way that we tell ourselves to think about it and therefore the beliefs that we construct as a result are very much dependent and controlled by us. So if you want to be kind to yourself in grief, you want to be a little bit more open and flexible with your comments. And yeah, you can say, it's really hard, but I'm going to be fair to myself. I'm going to be honest with my emotions. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I know at some stage I will get there. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's an equivalent. I always think that there's always two options. There's always the negative option that you can say, and it's very forgivable, isn't it, in grief. You feel like rubbish sometimes, and mm. you just feel like it's all absolutely worthless, and your life has gone to absolute pot as a result of your massive loss and the gaping hole that it's left in your life. But you give yourself a period of time for those forgivable comments to come out, and then you have to really, at a point, take control of them and say, right, I know that if I continue to keep saying that, that's ultimately what I'm programming in my journey to be so whilst we don't control 
grief happening to us because that's very natural. I want to tell people that imagine you've got a cocktail of grief and imagine a pint glass and a certain amount of whatever's in that pint glass will be natural. These will be your four words that you associate with grief, that umbrella term. The rest of it is self-imposed. Mm -hmm. What's in there? Blame, responsibility, guilt are you using language that's programming yourself to to feel a certain way and you might look at that concoction and, and most people think that's my cocktail of grief was actually a percentage of it is grief but the rest of it is actually what you're adding to it so perhaps being that you feel you didn't get a chance to say goodbye or whatever. absolutely so all those kind of things or that you didn't you weren't there for them or you didn't notice that they had a problem if perhaps it was you know all that really insightful how about the most common ones i should have been there yeah i should have done something about it yeah i should have said something better to them before yeah. they walked out the door that yeah. morning yeah, 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 yeah. we put a load of what ifs on ourselves yeah. some people some of us in bereavement are really good at being the the prosecution in court let's put ourselves in court yeah, yeah. so good at being the prosecution for a second just take yourself out of that role and let's imagine that you're your defense lawyer yeah, 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 yeah. you're in court what did you do that actually was helpful what was in your control yeah what did you do to really provide that person with love and warmth and friendship and companionship throughout yeah. their existence and actually, when you can compare the two, who wins? What does yeah. the judge decide? Usually it's very much about a defence, unless, of course, you do have reasons to, to feel guilty because maybe you were driving a car. Maybe you know there are other areas. But 99% of the time, we put a load on ourselves that's very unhelpful, yeah. very undeserved. Yeah. Again, self-sabotage. Yeah. So tell me about your journey through grief because you know you, you experienced it very young so first of all let's talk about when your nan died and your auntie and so how old were you then it's a loads of different angles with regards to my nan i was 21 i'd just come off a shipwrecked i came home to the news that she was really ill and didn't have so, much time left so she shipwrecked was, was this reality tv show you were on, yeah just yeah in, yeah case, uh, in case telegraph in case readers telegraph don't know this, yeah you're right you're right i so loved it bring oh, it back listen i lived on a desert island in the middle of the um Pacific. Uh, yeah, South Pacific. And uh, for three months, and I ate yam for seven weeks, and then ate rice and thought it was the most wonderful food in the world. Which, by the way, sorry, I'm going to veer off, yeah. is now a six-star resort. Is it? Weekend. So I have to go back for my 40th. You're going to have to. I, I, I looked this up the other day thinking, you know, I'd like to go back to Yakuvi. Next thing you know, it's a six-star resort. So okay, well, that's, I'm that's heading there. 40th goals. So you presumably had those things where you were saying to yourself, oh, God, I was out on an island in the South Pacific eating yams I should have been there for my nan no I didn't put that on myself okay, sorry funny enough no no I, I could have done I could have done if I was that if I was that way inclined if yeah. I had that kind of that way of, of loading on myself but I didn't to be okay. honest I'd had an incredible relationship with my nan I'd seen her so so much and even leading up to the event I felt like I had made enough effort to get to wherever she was um, in order to spend that and absorb as much time and as much of her as possible so no guilt didn't necessarily factor in my memory of that particular death was the funeral and coming out from the funeral and just standing on the steps and just crying uncontrollably mm -hmm. I didn't not want to do that I kind of just let it happen I, I knew at the time that it was good for me mm. to allow other people to support you and to support other people and there was something very kind of cleansing about it and actually I always enjoyed the chance to cry even if it's at Beauty and the Beast at the cinema did you I, cry at Beauty and the Beast I did five times Five what were the five occasions on I, which you I, I don't know I, I wasn't that into it but I, I just felt it you were obviously it. quite into it I must have been I, I must have got I lost with, in it a bit I yeah. went with my four year old and she within ten minutes said this is boring 
boring, mummy. This is not like the proper Beauty and the Beast. And we had to really? get up and leave. Controversial. Clearly, I need to sit down and watch it by myself. She should have given it a little bit more time. I but know, I know. But what can you do? I don't want to describe myself as a, as a really emotional uh, person, but there is a lot of emotion laying under the surface, I'd say. Yeah. You know, I, I'm very much heading forwards and, you know, I want to do these projects and I want to do well with this book and I want my children to do well at school. And But underneath that, there's probably a, a sort of inner child. There's an inner child with, within all of us that yeah, yeah. is probably still reeling from the thing that we're talking about. So, yeah, that's my first memory of, of Nan. My granddad when blimey, this is an interesting one because we'd just lost Jade on a reflex, literally just flown the kids to the other side of the world who was in Australia. And then I get a phone call from my mum and her tone of voice, it, it's interesting how you intuitively know what message you're about to receive yeah. before it's even been sort of given but my granddad had literally shot himself in the head he'd done it because he wasn't he didn't suffer from mental health in any way shape or form but he had throat cancer he'd seen his dad go through it as a child and he'd always had that agreement that would always stick with him that if it ever happened to him then before it got to the point that he witnessed his dad go through he was going to take action himself and he did that so I fell to my knees at the time and I remember just thinking but my job is to look after the kids. They've they've lost mm. their mum two, three weeks ago. No, I've, I've absolutely grieved for him. Whenever I'm around that area, I'll always drive to the back of the library, which is where his house was, and just sit in a car park and just listen to the, the sort of sounds from the wood yard. And you know, it just reminds you of the church mm. bells as well. It just takes me back and I feel like I'm with my granddad. And again, no guilt, no kind of regret because I spent so much time. I even lived with him when I was an apprentice at Leighton Orient. I lived with him in Hornchurch and commute from his every day and we just had a great relationship had a great time together some of my best childhood memories were with here my nan so mm. my auntie Jackie she died of cancer again like cancer is, is really picking on my family a little bit too much for my liking but she went well ahead of her time it's hard to find acceptance when people go early right that's, How old that's was she, when she... Um, she was probably 46 47 okay. she was very important to me she was kind of like a second mum she was mm. she was very strong when you lose someone you don't realize until afterwards but they're the glue that keeps everyone together so yeah. when you lose one person you can feel like you're losing many because all of a sudden without really having a big argument there's a lot of disbursement a lot of people just kind of go their own way because there isn't that kind of central figure that keeps everyone locked in and that's absolutely sort of where my family are at now obviously we all know Jade dying that was that was incredibly that was, difficult that, for the for the boys that was really quick wasn't it so what was six months between six months between knowing that she was terminal to Die. to dying um, so the boys did have time to kind of do the things like you know put her hand in clay with theirs next to them things that that just provided you know tools that would aid their grieving if you like mm-hmm. interestingly as well I lost a dad that I'd never met so you can query did you actually lose him in the first place this is interesting is it grief or is it regret oh, yeah of course so you didn't know so so people who possibly remember the Bow Bell Marchioness disaster on the mm-hmm. Thames well uh, my family have always worked on the river well the skipper of the Marchioness was my biological father I just hadn't met him I kind of grew up thinking that my stepdad was my real dad and it wasn't until we we had to run away we ended up in a women's institute in Great Yarmouth and um, when we was rehousing Tiptree my mum sat me down and said would you like to meet your real nan and granddad and again one of those intuitive moments where I remember thinking well something just popped into my mind it was a it was a memory of when my stepdad must have punched his way into a council flat that we'd obviously been evicted so, for so hang on wait, wait, wait. Mm. Say, so he was abusive to your to your mother verbally mainly but yeah that's just so encapsulated from... by saying she tried to leave him on many occasions but it didn't really ever stick uh, he was very persuasive in us coming back right. we ended up leaving and it was definite this time I don't know what was different for my mum that mm-hmm. time 
maybe it's just that she took us further so yeah as I say off we went it then sort of led to that moment where I was imagining again that that memory of being very young and walking into the bathroom and seeing the fact that his hand was bleeding and saying Paul I won't use his real but I said Paul your hand's bleeding whereas obviously if it was your real dad you'd say dad your hand's bleeding so straight away that ran through my mind I asked my mum why not my real dad I'd never actually even thought about it the fact that he might not be your own real dad and so I don't, you just assumed he was your dad he, yeah. he came into my life when I was five so I obviously yeah. just somehow managed to completely shelve any memory of him not existing so it's, you it's kind intriguing. of convinced yourself I didn't need to convince myself because there was nothing to convince against. But so, yeah, she said, well, OK, because your dad was the skipper on a marchioness. Um, so he died. You won't be able to meet him. And obviously in that moment, it's very interesting because you're, you're kind of faced with a decision. And it's right. How do I feel about this? Which direction do I want to take this? But it was very inherent in my nature that I would find a positive in it. And again, I thought about it very quickly and, and thought I can't really be too sort of angry about that because what can I change? nothing so that's the first question for me made sense logically for me I can't change anything what can I change well I guess I can welcome in this family mm-hmm. into my life do I want to well yeah they're a part of me do I want to know more about my dad yeah I do do I blame him for not being present in my life well no I'm sure there's lots of reasons for that which obviously conversations that I had with my mum she was only 16 when she had me he was a bit older I now have a, an extended sort of East London family that, wow. um, that I'm very close to and I see that as something gained as opposed to something lost because again I can't grieve for my real dad because I I didn't get a chance to meet him and that was for actions and decisions made by lots of other people lots of other adults while I was still a child but what I can be very grateful for is obviously the additions to my life now and I do obviously think it's a real shame that I didn't get to see 50% 50% of what made me of where my genes come from you know you go around your nans and she drives me mad sometimes telling me that oh your dad used to sit exactly like that and apparently I sit with the back of my hand on my lap and that's something that he did and you know I talk like him I look like him I have characteristics that are the same and, and I find that all very nice and I just think what a shame that I didn't get to meet him but have you never felt any anger or any kind of Honestly, Brian, you know, you look into the decisions that were made. So why didn't he want to see me? Why didn't he want to take any responsibility? He was 19 years old. His family set up at the time. He was still living with mum and dad. Mum and dad were not in the most stable of relationships. Mm-hmm. It was not an environment that would have been particularly conducive to bringing a baby into, especially mm-hmm. not a baby you really plan to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I forgive him that? Yes, I can. I can, to be honest. Did that have an influence on why... Jade and I had Bobby and then Freddie Mm -hmm. completely Mm -hmm. so obviously me knowing that I'm very lucky to be here because if it wasn't for my mum ignoring the whole family were telling her give yourself a chance of having some form of extended childhood and young adult life and don't have this child the fact that I'm I'm here is obviously because she kind of uh, gave me the right to enjoy life so again I think that's another really part to play in why I feel particularly positive and why I go down a certain route when others would have maybe gone in the opposite direction so are you naturally a glass half full person naturally you always been and I love being that way and I I wouldn't want to be any other way when did you decide to do the life coaching I've always been a natural asker of questions Uh except I wouldn't necessarily verbalise them at any kind of volume I'd I'd be asking them for my own benefit so as a child you kind of internalise that and you become quite self-sufficient when my mum had her hands full with my stepdad and then I also have a brother who's seven years younger than me that has cerebral palsy so in terms of my mum's attention that was very much divided and it wasn't really necessarily me that was at the front of the queue so again I've become self-sufficient sort of mentally uh, and in every 
every other aspect as well. But you'd look at that and think, why did he do that? Why did he say that? Why did they do that? And in kind of finding answers, for me personally, having an answer, an acceptable answer that makes sense to me, enabled me to move through it. Mm-hmm. Enabled me to consider that one. I'll take that off the stew pile and I'll put it on the dumb pile so I can move on to the next challenge or the next question. So that has probably been where it all started. And then sort of beyond that, I just see that if you're one that likes to find a solution, then ultimately you'll um, have a more smooth experience of life mm-hmm. and it's good for your mental health to focus on solutions as opposed to problems, which is inherent within a lot of us as well. So the coaching anyway come off the fact that I left school with very few GCSEs, typical sort of thinking that I was going to be a professional footballer, which very nearly sort of worked out. And then years later, I had a coaching session, which a girlfriend sort of had managed to coerce me to go and take part in. And I remember just thinking in one hour, I cannot believe the difference this woman has just made to me, the clarity and direction and focus that I've now got. Whereas before, like most people, I've got a million balls that I'm trying to juggle. I'm doing a sort of all right job at it, but I'm not really progressing. I'm just going and ran in that cycle Um, and at the end of it I had a plan and I knew what I was doing and I knew not what to worry about and I knew how to go about it so a year later anyway Lydia who was the coach she then was a tutor on a on a life coaching course and she asked me if I wanted to partake and I thought wow this is exactly the right thing it satisfies my interest in psychology Mm -hmm. it enables me to go back and feel like I'm sort of furthering my education which meant a lot to me I thought it would be a good example to the boys and I went off and did it and it just it really it gave me so many wonderful tools and traits that I can apply directly to my my life as a parent as an individual as a presenter as a as a partner and honestly I can't tell you the purpose and the satisfaction that I get from coaching people mm-hmm. um, from asking them the question giving them my full attention so that they can completely offload on me and so that they can refine through that and help guide them towards what it is that they want to eliminate or what mm-hmm. it is that they want to create it's a wonderful process and I get so much from it so you know equally it's an exchange you know they obviously pay you for your hour but for me I take away equally as much and it's in taking away so much from my bereaved clients that I really felt that I needed to write this guide mm-hmm. because if I didn't it would be entirely wasteful of all the incredible information and knowledge and the education ultimately that my clients had afforded me it's really beautifully written Jeff just so you know cheers <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the way you think we deal with death in this country it's very much sort of badly so badly right because you know it's the one thing we know is going to happen to us apart from taxes and uh, you know when someone dies you know you sort of oh I better not you know there's a sort of period of mourning we'll stay very quiet the funeral's done and then it's like right onwards we go and it's like guys can we talk about this yeah it doesn't work like that does it it's um it's natural it's going to happen to all of us it's uh, it's like flight or fight it's like when you fall off some stairs and it doesn't hurt all of a sudden then all of a sudden it does like a couple of hours later it's our body's natural process natural defense mechanism to protect you by putting you in shock for starters if it's something that you didn't have the chance mm-hmm. to prepare for a lot of people obviously describe the stages of grief whereas i think that has kind of been proven to be a little bit more it's, it's a little bit more loose it's a little bit maybe more fluid like a spiral mm-hmm. and you can revisit those emotions you can go out of disbelief and you can a few weeks later find yourself back in it there's no sort of natural progression necessarily but firstly whether it's been typically english and whether it is a throwback from maybe the days of the war where you can imagine loads of people were dying all the time so did we ever really have the opportunity to sit here and discuss our feelings about that loss when there were losses happening every minute would it actually make you quite selfish Mm. to discuss your loss and your bereavement and your pain and your suffering or 
did society at the time encourage you to have a stiff upper lip and be like, listen, we'll do a minute silence for them in a couple of months when the war's over. For now, you need to get on with it. You know, roll your sleeves up. Here we go. I don't blame that generation for having that mentality because I think that needs must. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas nowadays, obviously, we are having wonderful discussions like this that mm. many people will listen to and Rio's documentary and, yeah. and and your wonderful podcast with Harry and all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more of a discussion mm. but so I, I gave a talk a couple of days ago just a little impromptu talk because I knew I had lots of interviews coming up and I wanted to make sure I knew what I knew what I knew even though the people there that had not hung off every word that was said but found so many interesting sort of facets to the, to the conversation they wrote so much down and they were, you could just see their brains were literally bursting with information when it came to the end and me saying has anyone got any questions we've left 10-20 minutes at the end does anyone want to ask me anything nobody really because even though they're literally bursting they would rather still it be very private and obviously that we have to respect that but in terms of grief as a taboo subject I mean there are layers to grief as well there's different types of grief there's the one that we can maybe prepare for it doesn't make it easy and we can't sort of uh, compare my griefs worse than your sort of thing but you know having not known anything about child loss and then when you speak to people about stillbirth and maybe miscarriage that wow when I really sort of looked into that I made the mistake initially of thinking that that was maybe going to be an easier grief to go through and I say that and I revise my opinion so bear with me everyone maybe because a life's value is based upon how many minutes it existed mm. how many hours how many days but no, it's about the fact that the mother had carried this child and mm. all the expectations and the planning that goes in place. And that loss is no less painful from the loss of another mother's to maybe a child who was mm. six who had health issues. There is no comparison. That's a grief that unfortunately nobody mm. wants to talk about. It will make people want to shut up now. And it's because no yeah. one wants to talk about I it. Just, it's almost... Yeah, yeah, I just kind of you've just You've just cuddled yourself. I've just cuddled myself because, yeah, yeah, the thought of... Yeah. The thought of it. But the poor people that are going through this um, the, the, the NHS unfortunately recognise it as um, they don't even give the child a death certificate if it doesn't go beyond a certain term and the parents are obviously just level. well I'm going to have to deal with this on my own because if it's before 12 weeks as well yeah. they haven't really sort of told anyone but the, well, that's I, the other thing I think the whole 12 week thing is like as soon as I got pregnant I told everyone because I'm like if I do have a miscarriage I want to be able to tell my friends and go through it together you know and that's have fascinating that you believe that do you think you're in a minority for believing that do you think that most people these days are starting to be like I don't care if it's two weeks or 12 I'm telling people because this is great I think it happens more but yeah but I felt you think something's going to go wrong well if something goes wrong the fact I've told someone isn't going to have had any impact on why you know what I mean it's kind of magical thinking isn't it it's sort of yeah anyway. that's the perfect example of traditional over a modern yeah. sort of approach to grief in that traditionally we would say don't tell anyone because that's when before 12 weeks is when the majority of miscarriages happen yeah. and then if you haven't told anyone mm-hmm. you won't have to tell everyone the bad news and then you can just go and deal with it by yourself think about that how yeah. bad is that uh, whereas way. a modern approach is let's tell anyone because the more people that know there's the more people that can support you if it does go that way and it does go that way it does go that way so you know let's all talk that's about the reality it. so yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. let's deal with reality and not try and save people from having to go through us tell them that we're bereaved <laughs> yeah because actually that person needs a big old hug mm. so we've got to talk about death more which you are doing with the grief survival guide 
How are the boys right now? Are they good? The boys are good. So Bobby's um, 14, Fred's 12. So a little bit about Bobby. He's uh, doing very well at school, very settled. Doesn't really give me any any problems outside of the home. Uh, inside it, he can sometimes direct his anger in my way, which again, I'd rather he did to me than anywhere else. He's a handsome little man. And <laughs> he's one of those, he can pretty much turn his hand to whatever he sort of goes for. He unfortunately underestimates himself a little bit. He was describing the other day about how he'll never be a footballer because he's he hasn't really worked hard enough now and he's 13 now you know yeah, so, so I'm 13 now dad <laughs> you know like he's past it any parent wants their child to be unlimited yeah. and go for it and and sometimes unfortunately he's not but I know he'll find his thing and I know he'll do very well at it I think he has aspirations to actually work in the industry I think he might want to do some presenting I think he might want to try and do some modelling obviously that's for other people to decide whether he's kind of right for that but he's certainly got the height he's the age of 13 already sort of as tall as me really uh, which is great in terms of he borrows my clothes I don't mind but I borrow his clothes more which is you know like you are borrowing to, a 13 year old's clothes which yeah. is made me look slightly more casual more accessible more (laughs) urban because there's no way I'd buy some of the stuff that he he wants but but actually when I try it on I think yeah there's a way to peel back some of the years that I've gained lately I love this I mean Mm. what you're awesome and you know they're really lucky to have you and you're a real inspiration I kind of want to come over and give you a big hug Cheers, we all, we all need that sometimes. We do all need, we all need a big that. hug. So, The Grief Survival Guide, out now, available from all good bookstores and obviously the internet as well. And Jeff's all over social media and you have a website, don't you? Yeah, jeffbraziercoaching.com. So if you want to have like a one-on-one sesh with Jeff, as I have been lucky enough to have <laughs> today, you can go there. Jeff, thank you so much. I'm coming to give you a big hug. Come over, come over. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. You're amazing. Oh, thanks. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, a comprehensive list of mental health services is available on our website, which is www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld. If you want help right now, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. And they're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Finally, there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808. 802-5544. That's 0808-802-5544. And remember this, you are not alone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 